So for the first time this season, uh, my family, minus my wife, decided to head down to Dalton for the Dalton Red Bulls game. They were playing Tormenta 2, thought it would be a good time. Um, and overall, it was a fun game. It was an interesting atmosphere because there were a lot of Tormenta fans there. Um, family that was related to, I think, a couple of different players that were on the Tormenta team. But what really made it exciting was when my son uh, put a hole in his head with the bottom of the bleachers and uh, came running crying. And I thought <clears throat> for sure it was just something where he got pushed down by his sister or something. And then I'm looking at his head and it's like right. it's like bleeding. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. And so I'm looking around trying to find like, okay, is there a nurse or something at this half you know, tiny stadium in, in Dalton. And so ultimately I go to like a, a rep wearing like a event staff shirt and it's like, Hey, is there someone that can look at my son's head? And the guy looks and like immediately starts running for a athletic trainer. And I'm like, it's not that bad. Like I've looked at Yeah, him. He's far more worried about lawsuits than he was worried about your son's bleeding head. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, that's probably true. And, and the, uh, to their credit, like he came and looked at it. He's like, no, it's not going to need stitches. He's like, you know, and all that stuff. But my son keeps going, I don't want to die, dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, buddy, you're, you're not going to die from a small scrape on your head. Um, but yeah, and of course, my wife wasn't there. So I'm in my head, I'm not even really thinking about, is Jonah's head going to be fine? It's going to be fine. I'm thinking more of, my wife's going to kill me. Like, there's no way this goes well. And so I, like, I waited until we were home. I cleaned it up, got everything. It's no more bleeding. It was clean. And I just kind of casually mentioned it to her. Like, so Jonah cut his head open a little bit when we were at the game. And she immediately, like, everything changes to looking at him and all this. And then he ends up being brought into our room to make sure, like, there's no concussion syndrome from a small scrape on the head. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't tell her this before I got back home. Soccer chat with two T's. Because we're going to chat about soccer. But we're also in Chattanooga. So it's like a play on words and you know chattanooga is a soccer city all right welcome to the soccer chat i am one of your hosts adam bruce joined as always by alex forney this is episode 19 and as always we are brought to you by golden gold press and roughneck scars alex let's jump right in a uh, a pretty pretty solid win steven bd3 greenville 2 uh on saturday mm-hmm. night here at home, starting off a three-game homestand. What's your initial reaction? Do you remember the uh, Looney Tunes episode where Bugs Bunny plays baseball against a baseball team, but he's by himself, so he plays all nine positions? <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that that should be League One's team of the week, is just Stephen Beattie in all 11 positions. Uh, he genuinely had a really, really good game. Um all, all over the place. Uh, there was a really good breakdown, though, of some of, of a of the second goal in so much as Tony Walls really setting it up with a through ball. It was done by Home Sweet Soccer, uh, Jason, and how it just, by the way he split the defenders and got the ball forward and just how it opened up the run for Steven to continue to have because it took out two defenders with one pass. Uh, and then just a beautiful cross, two touch, another beautiful cross. Just overall, just really good... Um, attacking of the press that Greenville was bringing. And honestly, Greenville, you know, the whole night, they, they were pretty – that press was pretty hard to break down. I mean, they they did a very good job of, of doing what they wanted. But to the Red Bulls' credit, when the opportunity was there, they took advantage. And all three of the goals were well-earned. It wasn't a fluke. It was just well-played. 
Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was a classic, we're going to sink in and let you come at us, and then we're going to counterattack and punish you. And uh, we're able to to make that work three times, had a couple other very close chances. It was very exciting. So Greenville managed to pull back into the game, but um, it was just kind of um, staying organized on defense and looking for chances to really spring a counter, and they were able to pull it off. Um, it was It was very impressive. So when you look at that, you talk about Greenville coming back into it. Let's talk a little bit about how they came back. Both of their scores were on on crosses, and then one of them was more on just the basically the ping pong ball bouncing around and then going in. But they both were set up by a really good cross across the box. And this is not the first, and it won't be the last time, that that is effective. But is that something that worries you a little bit? Because that is a, a common thread across the league as to how teams seem to want to set up for attack. Yeah, it's it seems to be how it works. I in rewatching the game, I felt like both goals were kind of on the center defensive pairing. There just a couple of times that they lost Jake Keegan, who scored both goals for Greenville. And you know, he's a dangerous attacker. It's not like you can fault someone for not being able to be on him 90 minutes of the game. Um, but both of those, it just it felt like he was able to find that space between those two defenders to have room. Um, another one where the pass that got through the defense for the initial cross was one where everyone just kind of watched the ball scoop past and go towards the end line, and then they all ran to the ball, and Jake Keegan was by himself. I mean, that, that would have been hard for you or me to miss that opportunity. Uh, give me a chance. I'll pull it off. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't want to make that sound like I'm taking credit away. Just, he, you know, he did a great job finding that space and having all day to put that thing away. The fact that what we're talking about is gameplay and not the two-hour lightning delay shows you how good that game really was. And I feel like part of what hurt the Red Wolves was, you know, both of those goals, of course, came after the second halftime because we not only had a two-hour rain delay, but then we came back and played about nine minutes and then took another full halftime. And I can, I mean, that that's just got to be hard to keep the juices flowing as you get a, you know, we had just scored our second goal, all sorts of hype, everyone excited. And immediately after that, oh, it's time to head into the locker room for two hours. Yeah. That's hard to come back from. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think it definitely affected it and the players um i mean w- when they separated us out as, as fans they go to, gave us different areas we could go we had to clear the entire stands and one of the areas was a pavilion that they've used for um vip events and for autograph signing after games and things like that and the rain really started going sideways so they had all of us that had gone to the pavilion to go into basically the gym area where the locker rooms are for the players and basically for that two hours, those players were just out there. They were watching the USA game. They were playing with uh, kids. Like like my son got to kick the ball around with a number of players. A number of some older kids got to kick the ball around. Like So like they legitimately were completely out of their norm for two hours. And there's no way that doesn't affect you. I'm surprised that they didn't get a goal in that nine minutes because of the fact that it wasn't the norm. I'm also surprised we didn't see injuries related to cramping in either set of those the nine minute or the second half. I think it helped that when that rainstorm came through, it managed to lower the temperature about 20 degrees. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the rest of that game was, I mean, aside from the fact that it was light and everyone was tired from, from hanging in 
for that delay. It was uh, it was absolutely beautiful weather afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and and part of the reason it was such a long delay was the storm just kind of set there about five miles past the stadium, but they were still lightning, so they couldn't get the game going again. For about an hour prior to them starting back up, it wasn't raining. It wasn't even lightning over us. There was blue skies above. Um, right. But they couldn't start back because you know, the lightning was still technically in the area. So, yeah, I mean, overall, that honestly had very – surprisingly, that's not what I talk about when I've been asked about how did the game go this weekend. Did you guys have a good time? Uh, the alpha section was – was doing very well. Lots of great cheers. The drums were going the whole night. Um, I had a, a friend of mine that was sitting over in the um, family section with his son, and he basically said, you know, you guys, you could hear you guys the whole night, and he really enjoyed their time. So, you know, credit to them because I'd say the vast majority, at least in the alpha section, stayed. Obviously, two-hour delay, you lost a lot of fans that sure. you know, had brought their kids and were like, okay, even if this game starts back up, you're talking 10, 30, 11 before we're leaving here. Uh, but that alpha section was still packed. It was still loud. They were still making noise. It was really good to see. That was another, especially on the rewatch, you could definitely hear the alphas bring in the noise and the funk that whole <laughs> second half. <laughs> the funk. I don't know about that. I think, uh, unfortunately, the alpha section doesn't have a lot of funk in it. It's got a lot of noise. I don't know about a lot of funk. <laughs> uh, so continuing on, talking a little bit more about um, Red Wolves family in general, a uh, couple other of the Red Wolves family was in action this past weekend. The women with a one nothing victory over the Lobos uh, to continue to, to take a stronghold on that first place position for them. And then I referenced this in the very intro. Um, I headed down to that Dalton game. You and your family was down there as well uh, for the Red Wolves to play Tormenta 2. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you saw in that game? Because you were there for the whole thing and because of the injury to my son, we did leave a little early. So big tip of the cap and congrats, because with that win over the Lobos, the Lady Red Wolves did uh, clinch first place. So a Hold couple up, matches man. still to play, but they have uh, mathematically clinched first place in their conference. Um, so July 5th, they will be hosting a home playoff game. Oh, excellent. So be sure be sure to come check that out. That's going to be the Friday evening before uh, Chattanooga Red Wolves host Lansing. It's at David Stanton Field, so go check them out. Excellent. Um, as far as Dalton, uh, we watched that first half together, and it was back and forth. Tormenta scored first. Dalton scored. Um, Dalton scored a second goal to go up 2-1. Then Tormenta came back and scored again. They went to halftime, tied at two. There was kind of a controversial. It was a a goalkeeper collision with one of the Dalton attacking players on a breakaway that led to the um, Tormenta goalkeeper getting a concussion and a red card. And Dalton wasn't able to convert the penalty, but they came in the second half. Tormenta was down a man and Dalton really looked like they were playing for the draw. And it was, it was kind of a disappointing second half. Um, they really did not seem to kind of press the fact that they had an extra man on the field and tried to take advantage of that and get the win. And then they ended up, um, the keeper got caught off the line on a, on a shot from distance. That was um, really, really kind of a bummer. And uh, they ended up losing the match. So, so uh, I, watched, it was a... I watched the end of that via Twitter. So all I see is chip over keepers, for the for the goal to go up three two, and that was from Tormenta's Twitter account. 
Tell me a little bit about what, what that actually looked like. Was it an actual just like a little chip shot, or was it just a he's that far out of position? No, he was. Yeah, he was pretty far out, and the guy looked up, and I mean, you know, he he hammered it, and it scraped in under the crossbar. The I mean, he almost got back to save it, um, and I, you know, that's a, a I've I've been there um, as a as a goalkeeper in high school. I've I've had that very goal scored on me. Um, so it's embarrassing and it hurts. Um, my teams were always so bad that it wasn't actually decisive in my part, but I really, I really put this on, on the rest of the team, not really taking advantage of the man advantage that they had for a full 45 minutes Yeah, and being able to put them away. They really did play with them. Um, it was a very tense game. Um, coaches were fired up, players were fired up. It was clean. That was something that I was kind of impressed with. You know, we were at another game where there was a lot of tension and contention and, you know, things were physical and the players didn't respond to it well. In this game, you could tell they were focused on playing and they were playing hard, but they were playing clean. Um, and the referees are always just, you know, this, this guy was better than, than others that I've seen, but, you know, there are still calls where you're questioning whether or not they've made the right decision. Um, so, and as any any U12 coach in North Georgia knows, that I've been through that as well as, as times that I refereed in youth soccer, so. Understood. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, the other thing that they announced at the end of that game, their next game is being held at Chattanooga Christian School. Their next game was scheduled on Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be at um, David Santon Field. It says, unfortunate result at home, but we are back in action Tuesday, the 25th, which um, is tomorrow, to face SC United Banthams at Chattanooga Christian School. Now, it's one of the things that they don't advertise real well, and I wish they would, is season ticket holders for Chattanooga Rebels get into the games for free. There's no hesitation. Like, I came with my lanyard around my neck, and, like, the guy immediately just hands me a wristband and says, you know, enjoy the game. Like, you don't even have to explain it. They just know, like, you're here for Dalton Red Bulls. You're getting in free as a season ticket holder. Um, so go out and watch it. I mean, I don't know if this will be the only game they do that, but they referenced it in the beginning uh, of the season as a possibility. SC United Bantams are actually the team in first place, so they are competitive with Tormenta and Dalton Red Wolves. It's going to be a, a really good game. If you're not a season ticket holder, $5 is the, is the walk-up. Uh, it's definitely worth the price of admission. I've been to three or four games now this season. They've all been a lot of fun. So, um, and I'm looking at USLLeague2.com, and it has SC United Bantams and the location listed as Chattanooga Christian School. I know where I'm going to be after Cloudy with a chance of handballs plays their match at six o'clock. Yeah, I mean it's that's it's really is fun. It's a it's a chance to get to see. You know, I, I talked to you about this. Like some of those players very well could end up on the team when their season's over. Like there's a few players I went and did some research last night that are not in college. Like these are not guys that are necessarily going back to college. So. There's a few players that you could see possibly going on to, if not the Chattanooga Red Bulls, onto somewhere else within League One or even NISA. Um, so you've got some players coming out of that League Two that are going to be professional players here in the very, very near future. And when you're talking about the Dalton Red Bulls that have a very good team, Tormenta that's a very good team, the Bantam team that's very good, the reason they're very good is because of the quality of the players. So I would be shocked if you didn't see those players playing further into this season uh, coming into july august september for league one or catching on with nisa um, when they start up which is in about 70 days 
uh, according to their website, they are going to be starting up. So, have they announced their teams? They yet? have. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of throw off our um, our plan just a little bit that we talked about beforehand to kind of talk about this. Uh, I'll just bet, and I'll just kind of glaze over it. But NisaSoccer.com is their official site. They are now saying they start in 74 days, 22 hours, and 43 minutes. So it's incredibly specific. Um, but they've got things about their about open... the same amount as our scoring drought, wasn't it? <laughs> it's close. Yeah, they've got stuff about their how their system set up, the academies they're planning, how fan ownership will be involved, and then they've got uh, pro soccer cities: Atlanta, Baton Rouge, Orange County, Charlotte, Los Angeles, Miami, Connecticut, Philadelphia, Providence, and San Diego. Uh, so they have, they've got that list out there of who it is. If you click specifically on them, depending on the team, they may have already announced uh, a little bit more about like who the team is specifically, where they're going to be, what their name is, things like that. So definitely a lot more information than they've had in the past when it came to NISA. And so that's something definitely keep your eye on. And like I said, if these players don't end up on a League One team or a championship team after the season that don't have a college commitment – you could see them at NISA. You could see them on a Founders Cup team hoping to catch on with a real pro team after that. Uh, so there's a lot of options there. And when I say real pro team, I'm talking about ones that are associated with a professional sanctioned league. I'm not taking a shot at them specifically because within Founders Cup, there is a team that's going to be playing for NISA. That's Make sure I clarify that for you guys. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on. Their, their Twitter feed has become significantly more active to talk about things. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth keeping your eye on. I think Nisa is a very interesting concept because they are independent soccer teams, um, and they are trying to do it differently because they're doing that winter, um, European schedule, which we really have never seen. And part of me would love to see that work because I'd love to see that catch on with some other leagues because it's hot as all get out when it, when you get to a game and the feels like on weather.com is 104 degrees, it's it's hot, and I couldn't imagine being on the field. And we're not even in July or August yet, so that's true. It is definitely the uh, the fat guy's worst season right now, where you walk outside and you just start sweating. Um, I'm I am just skeptical as much as American football dominates the American landscape from professional all the way down to high school. I'm really just skeptical. I feel like most American soccer is going to be at its best if it competes against baseball rather than it com- trying to compete against football. And I get that. And not only that, like Atlanta is going to be competing against not only the Falcons and Georgia and Georgia Tech, well, maybe not Georgia Tech, but uh, those other college programs that are in Atlanta, they're competing against Atlanta United as well. Um, and I hear they're pretty good. Yeah, exactly. But you do have some cities – you know, San Diego, they don't have pro football anymore. In fact, they part of me feels like you may have people showing up because they, they're not football, that are still bitter about the Chargers leaving. Um, Baton Rouge, while LSU is big um, in Louisiana, it's something to do that they don't really have. So there's some other ones in there. Now, granted, L.A., Miami, Connecticut, Philly, Atlanta, Orange County, there's some pretty big teams in all those places. So. I I cherry-picked a little bit, but the other part of it is you're not needing 50,000 fans there. You're needing like three, right? And so depending on how they they do in their marketing, they have an opportunity. That that San Diego team has been 
San Diego 1904 is the team. They've been out in the community for two plus years. Uh, you've got other areas. Miami FC is not a flash in the pan team. They've been around for quite some time. So you've got a, a little bit there. Now your Atlanta team's weird. The Charlotte team is kind of odd because there's already a USL championship team. There's rumors of MLS there. Um, they've already got two USL League 2 teams, so I don't know how good that market's going to be. But ultimately, though, you've got a, an interesting niche. And a lot of that lower division soccer world likes the idea of the independent non-franchise. And so the question is, how many of those people that have come out in droves to donate um, to be an owner for CFC or go to those like Detroit City games and 6,000 people to watch Division 4 will show up for an independent Division 3 team. Like that, that's, that's the interesting part. And the part I really want to keep my eye on. This also a reminder for those of you here in Chattanooga, you know, NISA was the first place that everyone thought CFC was going. And CFC pulled out around the same time Peter Wilt did um, for various reasons that we don't know the inner workings of. But this is the other side that if the Founders Cup doesn't work out, a lot of people think those teams, the Detroit City, the um, the Chattanooga, uh, the Cosmos, could end up in. So that's, it's a really, really interesting thing to keep your eye on. Lots of moving parts for sure. We'll just have to uh, see where it goes. Exactly. So coming back around to what we talked about beforehand, I apologize for going off tangent there, but I do think it's something to keep your eye on. Um, let's talk a little bit before we get into the other world parts of the soccer world. Let's talk a little bit more Red Wolves and give a quick preview of, of Richmond coming up. Uh, they notched another um, L in the, in the loss column uh, this past weekend, and they've been really struggling of late. Do you think we're going to see more of the same, or do you think it's time for you know the law of averages to go in their their favor? Um, there is just no such thing as a game that's a given in League One. So, I feel like we are continuing some really good momentum as a team. Things are coming together. Guys are, um, you know, they they're they're starting to kind of form some bonds. I feel like they've got some good chemistry. And as they've been on this four-game unbeaten streak, that uh, that they are really starting to head the right direction. So I think as well as we've played at home, even if Richmond's trying to get off that and, you know, gives a spirited uh, spirited defense, I still think I still like our chances to be able to hold them off, um, come away with a one nothing two one type win. And I, I get where you're coming at 100% for that. I do want to mention that these, they other than the North Texas games, these have not been blowout losses for them. Um, they they lost one nothing to Greenville. They lost three two to Orlando. They got beat three nothing by North Texas, and from what I understand, it wasn't even that close. Um, they tied Tucson. We beat them two nothing. But in all honesty, once again, it could have very easily been zero zero, depending on whose podcast you trust, ours or. Um, the River City 93, those guys really felt like uh, that game was theirs and we just had a couple fluke situations. And I don't, I haven't got a chance to look at the Tormenta game, but Tormenta's leading the, the league right now, and they only lost one nothing to him. So I think that points to what you've talked about. USL League One, even within these standings where you got 25 points all the way down to all the way down to the bottom at 12 points, the games are still close. So 
I, I do think that's worth mentioning. Now, Richmond has played 13 games and they've gotten 12 points. So they're averaging less than a point a game. So that does give you a little bit of confidence when we've played 12 and have 18 that you feel like, okay, we overall we're playing at a 1.5 click. So, you know, hopefully it continues. We've been really good at home, but I just at some point we're going to lose at home. It's going to happen at some point. Um, and at some point they're going to – Take that gonna, back. What's that? Can you the, take that back yeah. right now? Yeah. I mean, I don't want it to, but I mean, it's just, like I said, law of averages. When you have a league like this where really the talent disparity is not significant, um, it's, it would be shocking to go undefeated or defeated, right? So we've broken the defeated on the road standpoint. I don't want to break the undefeated, but I wouldn't be surprised if this game's a lot harder than a team that's lost four of five playing against a team that's won um, three out of five and four of the last three. Yeah, I certainly don't expect uh, the Red Wolves to come in overconfident, knowing that this is a team that's matched them pretty close. Um, I mean, I would not say that the two goals we scored against Richmond were flukes, but I do feel like it was an even game throughout. Yeah. So we were able to capitalize on our opportunities. Alex Mangles made some de- uh, some very good saves that kept them from capitalizing on theirs, and we came away with a two nothing win. But it was a much closer game than what you would think a 2 nothing game, you know, what that 2 nothing score indicates. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Uh, so, once again, a couple of things from this weekend that I do want to talk about the Brown League one before we move on. Uh, North Texas was handed a pretty uh, resounding loss to the um, pink power from the north in the Flamingos. Uh, 4-1 loss for them is really surprising, especially to a team that seems to struggle to score. Uh, other things that, that happened around the league, um, like I mentioned, Tormenta got that victory over Richmond. Lansing, who we still have yet to play, got another victory, so they won 2 nothing. And so when you look at the standings, you know, you look at Lansing sitting there with 20 points, um, two points ahead of us, it looks like, oh, wow, they're, you know, they're, they're doing well. And then you realize we've still got two less games played than them. So I really feel like we're in a good position. This game's really important. We have to win those games to the people that are below us in order to make sure that we keep those above us in sights. Um, Toronto is is tied with us in points, but they have us on goal differential. I think, you know, we talked about this before. We're starting to see some separation, though. I mean, 18 to 12, it's a six-point difference, and both Orlando and Richmond have more games played than us. So you got to feel like, at this point, we need to win these games where we're in the standings we should. Yeah. And especially trying to protect our home field. So that's, I mean, I think that kind of comes into that as well uh, in order to, to keep those points. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's turn our, let's turn our attention to other things that are going on in the world of soccer. The, both the men's and women's teams uh, on the national level are very much involved game today for the women. Um, have you gotten a chance to watch it because I'm salaried? I did watch it live. Um, have you gotten a chance to watch it yet? No, I did not have an opportunity to watch. I read as much about it as I could so that I didn't sound like a complete oaf, <laughs> or at least no more than usual. So this is my takeaway. We are lucky to walk away with that victory. Um, there was just It was just sloppy play. We were obviously the more talented team on the field. You could see it with um, just the quality of the way in which we were able to um, – get a lot of attacking opportunities. But when we got into those attacking opportunities, it just died in front of the box. We were taking a lot of shots from outside the 18. We were 
just it was just sloppy. It was poorly played. And I think it could be argued that both penalties that we were given were soft penalties, um, especially the second one, where I think if it had gone the other direction, we would be sitting here talking about how livid we are that that was given as a penalty. Now, that said, there were also some calls that were not made earlier in the game that you could argue were practically NFL-style tackles that didn't get called. So it could be that you go, okay, yeah, that was a soft call, but this one was completely missed. And I, I get the argument, but I'm still going to hold to, you know, one of the, the things that I always always respect that comes from one of the Arsenal blogs that I follow, which is Ars blog, is he always asks, if that went the other direction, how would you feel? And if it went the other direction, I would have been angry. Like, it, it was that soft. Like, it, it was one of those where, yeah, her spikes were near the sock, but her reaction wasn't that of, it wasn't, it didn't look to me like it affected the play whatsoever, and it also didn't look like it was as bad a foul as she made it out to be. So, you know, all that to say, I'm glad we got the victory, and in my mind, the World Cup Finals on Friday. Um, but, you know. You almost wonder if they're, you know, they, they, of course, would never want to admit to it, um, but how much are they were they looking ahead at that upcoming matchup against France that everyone has been talking about since before the tournament started? So they've had a nice close test, something that kind of put a scare in them because they have been on cruise control through the entire group stage. So that's probably something that I think is going to help them as they go forward into this match against France. And, you know, France didn't play super great either. So it's like both teams got a wake up call. And I think that that's a fair statement. I think it's highly possible France and the U.S. were slightly looking ahead to that quarterfinal matchup. And I can't blame them for that because... You know, this is Spain's only their second time even making the World Cup. So it's not the men's Spanish team. Like, this is not a team you're expecting to be, you know, in that, in that, in that spot. So I understand that. Um, at the same time, if they had lost that, I would have put that right up there with the U.S. loss uh, to Trinidad and Tobago as that bad of a game. Uh, sure. So I'm glad we moved on. I do think we were lucky to, and fortunate, too. Move on. There was a couple opportunities that they had that easily could have been uh, us being the ones trailing. Now, we never technically trailed in this, but those that are trying to say that it wasn't as big a test or it wasn't as big of a scare, you must not have been watching the same game I was because I kept thinking, if we don't start putting them away soon, I know soccer too well to know. All it takes is one bad, one bad play, one missed play, one missed pass back to the, goal, to the goalkeeper, and suddenly you're down 2-1 and they park the bus on you. So... All that to say, glad we're moving on. Looking forward to Friday. That, that in my mind, is the World Cup. I, I think the team that wins that wins the Cup. So that's a huge game. If you have a chance to watch it, I advise doing it. Um, my employer was kind enough to put it on the big screen. So I had sat there with my laptop, watched it on the big screen while answering emails. It worked out great. Not every employer does that. Uh, and not every position can afford that. But Yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> but yeah. All that to say, it really was it was exciting to watch, and you could see the passion there, and the fans in the stands were excellent. Uh, they were chanting the whole time you heard the USA chant, so it was it was fun to watch. So let's turn over to the men's game super quick. So we of course were at the Red Bulls game and got home. It was around eleven o'clock, but I still wanted to be able to see what had happened with the U.S. Uh, thank you for not providing spoilers as revenge. And hey, I told you the guys were up one. 
Yeah, <laughs> laid down on the couch, watched the whole first half, one nothing, start second half, and around the 66th minute, Jossie's artist scores his first goal of the match. And then I woke up. You know, you know those when you you know you've fallen asleep late at night after the kids have gone to bed on the couch and you wake up and you're like, where the hell am I? So I had that moment and looked at the TV and there's commercials playing, which obviously means the game is over. And I think to myself, well, I'll just check and see what that final score was. It was two nothing. Maybe it was three. No, it was six nothing. I missed four goals <laughs> and it all I I happened to fall asleep in the three minutes between the second goal and the and the third. That's excellent. So I ended up on Sunday afternoon having to go back and rewatch the second half so that I could see how those goals got scored. Yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, that was how we expected the game to go a few years ago, right? Like, that's that's the difference in talent between those two teams. And the, I, you know, a lot of people are saying that this is a uh, a kind of a much diminished. Trinidad and Tobago team. So the one from two years actually may have even been a little stronger. So this to me is the thing. There's all, there was all sorts of talk before the gold cup started of people saying, you're not supposed to play to win this tournament. This is just supposed to be a developmental, you know, this, this tournament's below us because of all these teams that are, you know, like Guyana and Martinique who qualify for this tournament. And you look at, People say that about America, but then I think to myself, you know, we're the also the team that two years ago finished fifth in a, a six-team round robin. So maybe we're not actually that team. It's the sort of thing that always drove me nuts about Jurgen Klinsmann is he would treat stuff like that, um, not really trying to put the best team out there. And it's almost like he demotivated his players by like, oh, guys, we should do a cakewalk through this game. And how many times was it these one nothing struggle sessions or, oh, my gosh, we gave up a goal against Bermuda and we're down one nothing to this little tiny island nation. So what I was glad to see now, it took a little while against Trinidad and honestly, it did against Guyana as well. But now we're at a point where we play these two teams instead of goofing off with experimental lineups, blah, 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 thinking, oh, we're just going to cruise past these games winning maybe one or two nothing and having like a three goal differential going into a game against Panama thinking, are we going to be able to win this thing? And when, you know, go out of the group in first place. Now we're at a point where with a 10 goal differential, we can actually rest Christian Pulisic against Panama. We can switch out someone in the defense. We can, you know, do whatever we need to do. We can, you know, allow Jossie's artists to continue to play striker and give Josie Altidore more time to get ready for the um, for the knockout round. We can get a goal and we can park the bus in front of Panama and frustrate them. So I, have, I agree with you. The other part that I think a lot of people don't bring up and I wish they did that's along those same lines is it's not like the U.S. national team. These players are always playing together, Right. So every opportunity right. you get to learn how the other person plays is a good opportunity, especially as we're seeing more and more of our top talent skirting MLS and going overseas. Um, I mean, they're playing for, for for teams in Germany. You've got Pulisic going to the Blues next year. I mean, you've got you've got those things happening where 
These aren't players that are even necessarily going to be playing in the same league. So learning how they play, you can't learn that from highlight reels. you got to learn that from being on the field with them. So I think there's definitely an advantage to it. And the idea that we should use experimental lineups that we would never use in a real tournament has never made sense to me. Because you're also training them to learn how the other person plays in a position that they don't normally play or in a way they don't normally play. It makes no sense. So yeah, I'm definitely glad to see it go the other direction. My, my favorite thing was seeing really that they put the same lineup out in this second match that they did in the first, even, even though Jesse's artist is playing striker, which still irritates me. I've, I've told you, and I, I want it to be part of the show on the record. So he scored two goals in this last match. Congrats to him. They were legitimate goals. He did a great job. He, in that first match against Guyana, he should have had a hat trick, but the one goal he scored is a cross that accidentally ricocheted in the goal off of his face. And that just seems like a perfect summation of what Giassi's artist has managed to look into. There's a lot of other opportunities that he didn't finish against Guyana and Trinidad that you have got to finish against Costa Rica and Mexico and dear Lord against Brazil or Germany or Italy in a world cup. And uh, so they have got to find someone because Josie Altador is not going to live forever and is, you know, sometimes hot or cold himself. They have got to have another option. And I just don't see Chiasi's artists as that option. Yeah. No, I think we're in agreement on that. All right. So I've got a note here that says you have something you would like to make us aware of. Is that accurate? Would that be the airing of grievances? I believe so. It's time for the airing of grievances. Okay, I'm going to need a little runway here. So congratulations to Diego Chara with uh, Portland Timbers making the All-Star team. Uh, first time in his career, he is one, He is really the OG Timber from the 2011 squad that first that made, debuted in MLS. Um, plays defensive midfielder, if you don't know him. Um, he's, he's about as slight as my wife, very speedy but is known for being a very tough tackler. Um, he has been a fixture in that lineup from 2011 on, except for the uh, occasional game that he's suspended for yellow card accumulation. So he's a very important player to that team. Now, he's he's much more Andre Iguodala than he's Clay Thompson on that Timbers team, if we're going to be honest. So... He got announced, the the Timbers made a big push campaign. This is kind of a lifetime achievement award for Diego to make this all-star team. Um, And there has been a lot of people, you know, a lot of chin stroking, just wondering, gosh, why did it take so long for Diego Chara to make the the MLS all-star team? And then uh, listening to something like MLS Extra Time, where they talk about all these different guys and who got snubbed and who's left out on this MLS All-Star team. Well, here's here's how it might have happened. Just a just a casual guess. You have a team that has 24 teams in it, soon to be 75. I think that's the goal. Is that the goal now? Have they? 110 is the goal. Something like. That. And they choose an 18-member All-Star squad who gets to go out and be the Washington generals to whatever European powerhouse feels like doing a preseason tour of America. So yeah, there might be some people left off of the MLS all-star squad every year. 
Yeah, so the question becomes, when did they go away from that? Like, it, it, they, if their goal is really to get Two to, years ago. What is it, 32, I think is what they've stated now? Is that what they're at now? I know that... I, yeah, I believe that's the actual number. And I think the rumor now is that um, St. Louis will be announced at the All-Star Game as, as an MLS squad. Uh, I think you're going to see Sacramento be really close behind on that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Charlotte or Detroit coming soon. So... Well, yeah. in three years, they're going to decide they want to go to 36. So if you're left out, don't get mad. You'll be there in a few more years. Yeah, unless they add another New York and L.A. team because they need more of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I think you reach a point where you start. You have to start playing East versus West, especially as you get so many teams that it's going to get to the point where the teams don't even play each other in the same game, same year anymore, right? right. Or they play once. And that's already there, right? Where they only play once for certain teams. You you basically, yeah, you only play teams in the opposite conference once. Right. So And you play the other I think, teams in your conference like three times, I think. Yeah, so they're going to get to the point like NFL where there's certain teams you never play. Um, because they're going to get too big to be able to get them all those games in in the, in the allotted time for the season. So I think that's when you'll see them finally switch away from this. Um, also losing to that powerhouse every year doesn't help your brand either. So it's just a bad play all around. I'm not a fan, but no, you're a hundred percent. And I mean, I'll be honest. If you had an East first West MLS all-star game, it would be as bland and lifeless as any other major professional sports all-star game is. But I still, I mean, yeah, there's there's that, but I just feel like if you're if you're at a point now where everyone's talking about how many people got left off, if you know if you're wanting to do this as a reward to these people who are who have played well, I mean, really, the timber that probably deserves it the most is Brian Fernandez, but he's only played three actual MLS games, so. Oh, uh, can't miss an opportunity to talk about your spirit animal. Um, this... Eight goals in six games. I'm just saying. Yeah. So. The other part that would make me want to watch the MLS All-Star Game is if they went back to the old like skills thing that they would do, like where they did the goalkeepers throwing the ball at each other, <laughs> like that type of stuff. Have you ever watched any of that on YouTube? dodgeball? That would be awesome. If, go to YouTube and look at some of this stuff. Like, There's legitimately work where it's they're throwing, trying to throw the ball in the other net against each other. It's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, no, like bring back the skills competition. I'll be okay with that. But no... It, it's stupid. They need to get rid of it. It doesn't help the league. It doesn't really honor anybody because you're limiting to where, you know, if you've got two good players on your team, good luck if they're not in a major city, right? Getting right. them on there. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, Alex, you got anything else you want to share before we, we uh, get off of the air here? I do not. I do want to remind you that there is a Dalton Red Bulls game being held at Chattanooga Christian School uh, tonight, if you're re- if you're listening on the day we release, Tuesday the 25th. If you are a season ticket holder, you get in for free. If you are not, they are five dollar tickets, and they are really fun to watch. Uh, and so I, I advise you to go out and see it. Um, if you don't get hear it before then, you missed out, and keep your eye out for if they ever do it in the future because um, it's definitely I think it's worth the drive. But if you don't have to make the drive, it's even better. Exactly. All right, guys. 
I want to once again thank our sponsors. Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom scarves, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. All right. Thanks, guys. See you on the other side. We didn't even once mention uh, Charlie's brisket. I'm just saying. Oh, I broke the streak. Yeah, you failed miserably. Oh, that's bad karma now. Yeah, we should probably put in the outtakes and mention that they have have uh, told us, and I don't know if it's supposed to be on the download or not, but you know what? Don't tell the guys that run a podcast if you want on the download. But they are going to be part of the stadium. They're going to have their own booth in the stadium. So that's exciting news. It's going to be called Alex's Happy Place. <laughs> I you know what you should be you should be campaigning to get them to have like the nachos that have both brisket and chicken um <laughs> as like Alex's nachos. Like you should just immediately start campaigning for that.